thought this day would never come, we're actually landing this series today, uh, part eight of an eight-part series. Now, the engine question that's been driving this whole series has been this. We have asked, what would it look like in our lives if we were to begin with faith again, to begin all over as an adult or as a young adult? What would that look like? Now, this is an Andy Stanley series that Cole and I have been teaching, and we want to communicate this as accurately as possible because of what it has meant to us in our lives. And we have already been hearing from so many of you over these seven last seven weeks of saying, this has been significant for me. So we knew it would. We knew it would. That's why we wanted to present it. Now, if you missed any of those series, catch it on Facebook Live. Uh, they hold on to those YouTube or go to SoundCloud and you can grab that. So a quick rundown. Ba- basically, our premise has been this. When you and I were children, our parents or someone significant to us said, here, this is what faith is. And, and they told us some things about God and about Jesus, as, as which is great. And I'm glad they did. And they said, here, believe this. And because I was a child and probably for you too, because you were a child, you said, yes, I'll believe that. That's what I will believe that. But then as we began to grow and we got older, we became teenagers, young adults, we became adults. Maybe that childlike faith that we had as a child did not grow along with us. And as a result, there became this gap between what we were holding on to with that child faith that we had, and it didn't seem to make sense to us any longer as a young adult or an adult, and very possibly because of that, maybe, maybe just possibly, we walked away. Now, That's where we've been every week. That has kind of been the very same introduction. And in fact, Jeremy's going to reiterate that again in just a moment. Now, Jeremy's going to get us started. I'm going to tag in in just a little bit and join in. And then I'll be there as well as we land this series this morning. So I'm going to now kind of tag team it over to Jeremy. Thank you, Harley. Tag. So yeah, as a result of what Harley was talking about, and I identify with that, I was one of those church kids that that was things were handed to, and I did believe. And then as I got older, became an adult, did have to start working through. That's why this series to me has been so important because it really has made me kind of look back at those things that that you were taught and hold them up against adulthood and the the trials and the problems and things that come up in life. Jeremy, I, I just want to reiterate, um, for those of you who don't know, Jeremy is a uh, local farmer. Uh, full-time. That's your yep. career. Yep. Um, and um, But you've been following Jesus for a long time. Long time. And you've been studying yep. the Word, following Jesus. and Not as much um, as I should. But, you know. I, well, you know what? That's, 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 that's for all of us. Right. That's right. for all of us. But I, I just want you to know kind of his background and where he's coming from. Yeah. So he's not an evangelist that we said <laughs> no. from over in Little Rock no. and said, hey, come over and join us. Jeremy is coming from our everyday um, Prairie County, Lone Oak County, Arkansas County right. experiences. Right. So I'm sorry to interrupt. I no, just want to make sure they knew that. But, but you know, as Harley's been talking about and Cole's been talking about it, I'll use the word we, even though I haven't been on stage, but what we've been talking about through this series, because we've all been talking about it. We've been talking about it as a family, you know, on the drive home or, or whatever. And, and I can't say enough about what Harley said. If you've missed one of these, I missed, I was out of town for one of these and had to go back and kind of listen and catch up because this, this series, uh, all the series that, that are taught here are important, but I think this one just for an adult who, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're, um, looking into it, whether you're still on the fence, 
uh, these questions that we're about to talk about, and we'll go through that. I'm going to try to go through it pretty quick, but, but just what would it be like to ask those questions that we ask as a child, but with an adult mind, with the adult experiences, this time looking for those grown-up answers. So here's what we've talked about so far, and I'm going to try to do this in about 60 seconds. I don't Maybe I do talk as fast as Cole. I don't know. Good. So Cole, Cole talks pretty fast, but I know he can go through things, you know, fast. But I'm going to try to run this series down in the next 60, 90 seconds. So the first question, I think this is the, the number one question. I'm so glad it was the number one question in the series. Who is Jesus? Um, not all of the other questions that can come up around when you when you look at scripture you know not were the dinosaurs on the ark not even necessarily was there an ark but those are those are great questions and we can talk about those and uh, have great times with that but that those things are not the number one question the number one question that we have to wrestle to the ground as Cole says almost every week who is Jesus and then in week two we talked about are we mistakers or are we sinners there's a big difference between those two. Are we just someone who makes mistakes over and over and over again, or is there something deeper, something deeper than that that, that causes us to stumble so much? Um, we found out in, I guess it was week two, that, that being a mistaker really doesn't cut it. There's something much deeper than that. Then in week three, we talked about what does it take to gain God's approval? And that's a big question. That's a question that all world religions, all religions, uh, period, try to answer. What does it take to get to God? What does it take to gain his approval? And um, there's, if there's a million different religions, there's probably a million different answers to that question. If you just ask people out at large. Then number four, um, I think this was the one that I actually had to go back and, and look at and watch because I was out of town, uh, is the, the role of, of rules or the family model versus the club model. Harley, you can tell me if I get this wrong. But I love this because there's so many times that we think if I just do this, then God will accept me. If I follow the rules, I will gain favor with God versus the family model where we just come to him and we're in the family and then we start to learn how he expects us to behave and carry on our life. Um, the next thing was, what can wash away my sins? That was week five. And that's a big one. We all know how to say I'm sorry. We all know how to kind of move on. But there's always that, that little bit back there that just doesn't seem to be gone. We don't know how to forgive ourselves. We don't know how to move on from that. And we, we talked about that in week five. Then in week six, we talked about grace. Grace is a small word with a really, really big meaning. But sometimes it feels like we're just, you know, getting by with stuff. That, that whole grace thing is, if you missed that, please go back and, and, and listen or watch. And then finally last week was we got to hear Cole here in Stuttgart talk about don't stop believing. I think he even sang a little bit of Journey while he was on stage, which was interesting. Um, but we, we kind of tore all the religions down. You know, and we said that if enough people believe the same thing, it, it ends up working for them. It's like seeing is believing and believing is seeing. And really religion is just 
about a bunch of people believing the same thing. And if they do that, they kind of see things working. Uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think is, is how we put it. And then it brought us to this last question at the end of last week, which is, so what are we here for? What is this all about? Is there really any difference between Christianity and all other religions? That's a big, that's a big question. And I would, obviously, I'm up here, I would say yes, but hopefully we can drill down on that a little bit more today and kind of figure out, figure out, you know, what that's all about. So today, we're going to wrap this series up, but I want to tell you about something else that happened. And this happened actually while uh, Jesus was still alive here on the earth. And it's a very important thing, whether you're considering embracing Christianity, whether you already consider yourself a follower of Christ, this thing that happened is so integral. It's so important because it's something that's part of your story, whether you know it or not. So that's a lot of lead up. Let me tell you what actually happened. Um, so let me back up. This, this thing, I, I said it was going to lead up, but I'm going to lead up some more. <laughs> um, this is one of those things that if you understand it and believe it, you kind of get a glimpse of why it is that we believe that Jesus is alive, why he is still working in people's lives. But it's an event, it's a happening that happened. So let me, let me move on to that. So when Jesus was alive, Matthew tells us this story. He says that Jesus and the disciples, his, his 12 disciples, were about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. Harley, how do you think they got to 150 miles north of Jerusalem? I'm going to say with some really sore wow. feet. I, I, I looked at that and I thought, man, I don't know. I'm sure I've walked in my life 150 miles, but just think about taking a journey. 150 miles on foot would be not an easy thing. But anyway, Matthew tells us that they're outside the city of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. And I think there's a picture of that there on the screen. Um, I can't see it. I'm too close. But this used to be a thriving city in the first century. And when Jesus was about 14 years old, the city was renamed. Now, the reason the city was renamed was because Caesar Augustus had died. So a name the city after him, I assume. So they're outside the city, and we don't know this because Matthew doesn't tell us, but perhaps they were talking about Caesar Augustus. Um, maybe they were talking about how... That's rain. He was the first true Roman emperor. Before Caesar Augustus, Rome had been a republic. Um, and Caesar Augustus was actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And after he died, Julius Caesar, the Romans defied Julius Caesar. Which, of course, meant that Caesar Augustus was, the, was actually the son of a god. That's how they referred to him in the Roman Empire. He was, he was the son of a god, or they might even say just the son of God around the empire. So they're walking up to this city, 
And maybe they're talking about that. And Jesus turns to the apostles and he asks this very famous question. He says, who do you think that I am? And so the disciples have this little conversation amongst themselves and they start talking about who all the other people say that Jesus is. And then Peter, in true Peter fashion, blurts out, I'll tell you who I think you are. And it's in Matthew chapter 16 that this is recorded. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of a dead God. Peter declares, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus stops and says, bingo, Peter, you're right. That's exactly the right answer. And it wasn't you that figured that out. My father actually gave you the answer to that question. And then Jesus says something that's astounding. And I'm getting now to this, this happening that we want everybody to know. And maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard this before, but you cannot uh, exaggerate the significance of what Jesus is about to say. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 18. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. That's a very important statement. Now, the Catholics and the Protestants, we've differed over the years about what is the rock? Catholics say it's Peter, that Jesus said, I'm going to build my rock on this man. Protestants say, no, this is really the importance of this is the declaration. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's an interesting debate. I mean, it, it doesn't really, it, I, maybe it does matter, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. Um, the significance of this conversation wasn't about who or what the rock is. The significance is that Jesus made a very bold claim. He says, I'm going to build my church. Yeah. Now, as you may know, Jesus, uh, being a Hebrew, probably spoke Aramaic. That was the common language uh, at that time. Now, they all knew Greek, but they generally conversed with Aramaic. So Jesus probably said those lines in Aramaic. But our Bibles and the original documents of the New Covenant were all written in Greek. So when Matthew heard Jesus say that in Aramaic, and, and Matthew was like, okay, now I want to write this down, and I want to write my story of and the biography of Jesus and this conversation, when he got to this, he did not write it in Aramaic. He wrote it in Greek. And Matthew thought about that word that Jesus used in Aramaic, which we're not sure which word that was. But the Greek word that... Um, that Matthew chose to use to describe what Jesus said in Aramaic, the Greek word was this common everyday use word. It was not a religious word, not at all. And this word that he chose to use in Greek is pronounced ekklesia, ekklesia, which means a gathering an assembly, a congregation of people is what it really means. That's what the word ecclesia means. So Jesus made this declaration. We really want you to understand this. He said, all right, guys, listen up. I'm going to build my gathering of people. I'm going to build my congregation of people, my assembly of people. Now picture it. 
So here they are, somewhere between 100 and 150 miles north of Jerusalem. They're in the middle of nowhere, and there's 13 of them at this moment, including Jesus, and uh, when you also count Judas in the mix, 13 of them. And Jesus says, all right, guys, listen, I'm going to build my gathering." my assembly of people, my congregation of people. I'm going to build up this group of people. But then what Jesus says, something, well, something kind of happens. Kind of a tragedy of translation takes place at this point. Because as time went by, they had the written document that Matthew wrote in Greek, and they began, they had all the documents uh, that include Mark's documents, Luke, uh, Paul, Peter, all of them, all of their documents, and they began to translate them from Greek into other languages so that other uh, cultures could read them and understand them. But unfortunately, this one little word, ecclesia, wasn't translated. Instead, they took a German word as in the translation process and placed it in place of the word ecclesia. So when they got to that, they took this German word. And, and uh, the German word then got not translated into English. It got transliterated, which means they, they created a new word in English and to do that, they created a word that sounded a lot like the German word or resembled it. And so that's what they did. And our English word that came from the German word is called church. So when we just read that a moment ago, uh, Jeremy read that because that's the, the English word that had been transliterated from German, and it is church. But the and so in this the English language Bibles, Here's what we need to understand. That word was not translated from the Greek. And that word doesn't mean the same thing as the word in Greek. It doesn't mean assembly. It doesn't mean gathering of people or a congregation of people. And now, there are not many tragedies of translation in uh, in our English translations of the Bible, but this is one of them. This is one of, of a handful, and this German word that they used does not mean assembly of people. It actually means house of the Lord, which means here's the tragedy. Instead of the idea of Jesus saying, listen, um, uh, I'm going to build my, create my, build my gathering of people, my congregation of people, my assembly of people. Instead of that, we have this word church that actually means Jesus was saying with this translation, I am going to build my house of the Lord. That denotes a place a property, a building. But here's what we really need you to understand. Jesus did not predict a place. Jesus predicted a people, a gathering of people, not a building. He didn't predict, I'm going to build my church, this house of God, this building. No, 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 no. And, and Matthew knew this 
Because Matthew was there and he heard Jesus say that. And that is why when he sat down to write his gospel, his biography of the life of Jesus, he chose the Greek word to describe what Jesus said. The word was ekklesia, which was not a religious term. It simply meant that Jesus was saying, I am going to build a gathering of people. Yeah, in fact, to flesh this out a little bit more, in the 16th century of, you may have heard of this man, his name was William Tyndale. He decided to translate the entire New Te- Greek New Testament into English. He's the first person to do that. And so when Tyndale gets to this word, ecclesia, he is stunned. He, he realizes that there's, I don't know what exactly he thought had happened, but he realizes that the translation is not the same. So, I mean, by his own account, he's like, you know, ecclesia does not mean house of the Lord. Um, the idea doesn't reflect the German word from which we get church. And so in his translation, um, the first English translation of the New Testament, he translates the word ecclesia into congregation. And he, in, in essence, says that Matthew said, that Jesus said that on this rock, I will build a congregation of people. Jesus didn't predict a place. Jesus predicted a people. But those in the days of William Tyndale that were in charge of the church, they didn't like that at all. Um, They said that he was a heretic because of his translation of the New Testament, uh, among other things. And they eventually strangled him and burned him at the stake. But William Tyndale was absolutely correct in the translation. Yeah, he was. So after Jesus made this incredible statement, this prediction, really, Mm -hmm. to say, I am going to build my people, a gathering of people. They were in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and they traveled around that area with Jesus, doing the Jesus things that he always did. And eventually, they were going to head back to Jerusalem. Now, the whole time, the apostles are saying, Jesus, don't go, don't go. You know, they're going to they're gonna try to kill you if you go back to Jerusalem. But Jesus knew this, and he knew the time was right. So Jesus went anyway, and of course, he was arrested, and he was crucified because he knew the time was right. And after the crucifixion, so in this moment, think of Jesus in that moment of being dead. And we talked about this a little bit last week. If we had talked to the apostles and asked them after the crucifixion, after Jesus was dead and they pulled him off the cross, put him in the tomb. And you said, Peter, 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 do you still believe what Jesus said? Do you still believe all this stuff that he declared outside of Caesarea Philippi? Do you still believe that? Peter would have said, no. I don't, I don't believe it because we were obviously we were wrong because he's dead. If we were to say, guys, do you think that he's going to build up this gathering of people? Do you think that Jesus is going to build up an assembly of people, a congregation of people who are going to follow him? Do you believe that? And they would have all said no, because he's dead. And yet, as we said last week, something drastic had changed. Because these very same people who had watched Jesus die and then ran for the hills and scattered in, you know, cowards, we would have probably done the same thing. Just a few weeks later, in the same city where Jesus was killed, they're boldly preaching that, that we're back because he's back. We have seen the risen Savior. 
And after Jesus came back from the dead, his, he, uh, he gathered his handful of followers. Uh, the, we honestly don't know how many that was, maybe around 120. But he gathers this group of 120 followers who are boldly proclaiming that he is alive. And Jesus says these very famous words that tied directly into his prediction outside the city of Caesarea Philippi. It's connected to when Jesus said there's going to be a Jesus gathering, a Jesus assembly, a Jesus congregation. Yeah. And so here's what Jesus said. And um, this is in Matthew uh, 28. And he said this. Then Jesus came and said to them, listen to what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus stands on a hillside with maybe, as Jeremy said, about 120 folks. And he's like, okay, guys, listen, all authority, all in heaven and on this earth, all of it. There is no higher authority anywhere in the universe and all creation. It's all been given to me. Can you think of a more arrogant statement? I mean, all authority in the entire universe Everywhere, anywhere was his. So either that was an extraordinarily arrogant statement or it was true. Now, the only reason that his audience that day was not severely offended by that statement is because they were looking at Jesus, a man that 43 days earlier, they saw him die on the cross. Now, if someone, here's what's going on. If someone can predict their own death and predict their resurrection to the day, and that person says all authority has been given to them, you just kind of go with it. You're like, yeah, obviously, I know, right? Yes, all authority. And then Jesus says this word, therefore. So I've got all this authority, therefore. In other words, here's what he's saying. In light of the fact that I have this authority, it's been given to me, in light of the fact that I could ask you to do anything I want to because I have the authority, and I could do anything I want to because I have the authority, here's how Jesus chose to channel that authority that he had been given. This is I, I love this. So he's talking to these 120-ish followers and they're on the edge of their seats because they're thinking, okay, you've got all the authority. What are you going to say next? And here's how Jesus channels his authority, uses his authority. He says this, go and make disciples of all nations. And I can imagine <laughs> the disciples, Peter especially. What? Do what, Jesus? What are you talking about, Jesus? What? Jesus, you certainly that's not what you mean everywhere. Uh, I mean, Jesus, we are Jews and we've worked really hard at keeping ourselves away from everybody else. And Jesus, yep, that's what I want you to do. And, and, and don't forget, guys, I have the authority to ask you to do it. I do. I really do. I want you to go into every nation, into every ethnic group, into every culture, into every people group in the entire world. And I want you to make Jesus followers of all the nations of the world. That's what I want you to do. 
and he added at the end of that um, something else that's very important, especially for them, but also for us. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then Jesus just left. He was, he was gone. He was taken up into heaven. And these, these same disciples, they went back to Jerusalem a few days later. And as we talked about last week, and you can read this all in the first uh, few chapters of the book of Acts, this group of people who had seen Jesus die, who had seen the risen Jesus, who had heard him say, go make disciples of all nations, this group went into the streets of Jerusalem. And their message was simple. We heard it last week. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. I'll say you're sorry. That was the four-point message. Hey, you know, you were there. You, you had a part in, in killing him. God raised him up. We've seen him. Now repent. Say you're sorry. And suddenly, this Jesus gathering was born as they began to preach this simple four-part message. I, I got to say that uh, when I heard Cole say that last week, that four-point message, I was like, That's a, that seems so simple. I've never really thought about it that way. And I went back this week and looked, and it is. It's there over and over and over again. They, they basically just say the same things over and over again. And people began to... Um, come to this movement. They began to believe that Jesus really had been risen from the dead. So the book of Acts tells us that hundreds and eventually thousands of people, not around the world or hundreds of years later, but thousands of people within the city of Jerusalem, where not long ago Jesus was crucified, thousands of people began to say, Jesus has been raised from the dead. God has done something significant in our midst, and the gathering of Jesus began to grow and grow and grow, and the church was born. But it wasn't born out of truth claims. And Jesus made lots of truth claims. Lots of religions make lots of truth claims. But this, all these religions that get started out of truth claims, you can debate whether they're true or not. The 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 Jesus gathering, the Jesus assembly, the, the Jesus congregation, the church, if you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, the ecclesia of Jesus happened around an event. Not a claim, but an event that people witnessed. It was the resurrection of Jesus. If the, if the resurrection of Jesus had not been witnessed by all of these people and had been shared and shared and shared, then this thing's dead in the water. And for about two years, everything went really, really well. This movement is growing around, in and around Jerusalem, even in the surrounding areas. Uh, Peter and Andrew particularly went, you know, about 100 miles north and 80 miles south. And they went to the coast and east and west. And several of them uh, began to move around what we call modern day Israel, which is not a, a huge place, but it is a, a long way to travel, especially on foot. So for about two years, things were going really well, and then so, something really horrible happened. Almost maybe something that you wouldn't expect. The movement just kind of stopped moving, and the gathering kind of stopped growing. So they had some uh, uh, persecution that broke out, and that's kind of scattered them a little bit. That got them kind of uh, moved a, a little bit, but suddenly this movement really, at this point, is kind of dead in the water. It, it, it just began to bog down. Uh, 
So something must have happened, and we don't have it recorded for us in history, but something must have had it happen. We don't have it recorded for us in Scripture. So understand what I'm about to tell you um, is not in the Scripture, uh, so there's the disclaimer. But apparently, something did happen. So here's kind of how I play this out in my mind. This is what I think. Not in Scripture. Mark that down. This is what I think in my mind. So here's my version of what might have happened. Um, Apparently, there was some kind of conversation in heaven. And um, so God's looking around. He's like, hey, son, come here. I, I need to show you something. He's like, look down there. Um, your movement has kind of slowed down. It's kind of not moving. So apparently, these people that you picked for this movement, they didn't understand that you told them to take it to all nations I think they must have thought you meant all neighborhoods because they're really not going very far. They're really not moving much. So the movement's not moving. They're kind of content just to stay in that little area and kind of be little, uh, little heroes in their little home areas. And I think Jesus must have said, you know what? You're right. To which God surely said, I, I think you need to find me another one. Let's find one more. Maybe someone who has maybe a little bit more education. Maybe someone who can speak multiple languages. That would help. Someone who is kind of a leader, not afraid to get out of the boat and kind of make movements happen. Um, someone who can get to all the nations. I think you need to pick somebody beyond just the tax collector and the fisherman. Um, perhaps someone who's even a Roman citizen. Maybe them. Um, and just to make it a little extra fun, why don't we pick someone who's a Pharisee? Yeah, that'll mix it up. Because these guys right now at the moment, they're not getting the job done. So maybe God the Father was like, hey, 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 right here. Look at this guy right here. Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, yeah, look at him. Ooh, look at him go. Yeah, but uh, I mean, he's actually trying to dismantle the whole thing. Uh, he's arresting my followers. He's putting them in jail, killing some of them. He's on a rampage. He's like a one-man wrecking machine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. He's awesome. I, I think you should go down there and recruit him. All right. Let's do this. Now, look, that's just my version. <laughs> uh, we have no idea what happened. But if you're considering Christianity or maybe coming back to your faith, if you stepped away, if you'll go to the book of Acts that Jeremy just mentioned, and if you'll flip over to chapter nine, you can read what we know of that recruitment of that guy in chapter nine. You can actually read that story. And boy, is it a recruitment. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, this is a it, go there in Acts chapter nine and read the story of the man who stepped into the history, uh, into history as Saul, but you would know better as Paul. Um, Saul of Tarsus is a real problem for skeptics, uh, for people who say, ah, you can't, you can't trust the New Testament. Um, because Saul or Paul, he's a, he's a real issue. Paul wrote his letters that comprise a, a large part of the New Testament in the 50s. Now, that's not the 1950s. That's the First century 50s. I don't even know how to say that. Zero 050. Zero 050. <laughs> so not 100 years after the resurrection, but more like 20 years after the life of Christ. And 
Paul's life is documented for us in the book of Acts. And Paul knew Peter. Paul uh, knew John. He knew James, the brother of Jesus. In fact, at one point, Paul, he went to Jerusalem and he gathers all the, the Jesus followers, especially the ones that were leaders in the church together. And he says something very important. He says, look, this gathering has got to grow. This movement has got to move. Um, this isn't just a message for Jewish people. It's not just a message for Middle Eastern people. God has done something in our midst, and the world has got to know about it. We've got to move away from just the, our neighborhoods and go out into the world, into the nation. So here we have uh, we have Peter and we have John, and they're listening to to Paul kind of explain this, and and uh, and they're like, yeah, 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 you're right. We we do have to do that. Yes, yes. So I can imagine Paul went over and drew a big circle around Jerusalem. I'm making this up. I have no idea if he did or not. And he's like saying, okay, guys, y'all take care of this, everything right there around Jerusalem, and I'm going to take care of everything else. And Paul did. He pretty much took care of everything else. Paul got on a ship, and he went all around the Mediterranean from port to port, to all the port cities, and anywhere there was a synagogue where Jews were gathering and where he could also find Gentiles, Paul spent uh, uh, the good part of 30 years of his life traveling to what, as far as they knew, was the rest of the world, uh, the rest of the Roman world, and they were, uh, and he spent that 30 years sharing that very same message with them. And Paul was arrested during this time more than once. He was beaten severely. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. When you're stoned, you're usually dead. Somehow he survived. They left before he was dead. He was stoned. He was uh, bitten by a venomous snake. Yeah, all kinds of horrible things that were happening. Um, he was shipwrecked. You name it, it happened to him during these 30 years while he's spreading this. Now, for those 30 years of Paul's life, He's traveling and he is building, setting up these little ecclesias, these little gatherings of people, these little congregations of people in this port city and that port city all throughout the Roman world. And everywhere that he went, he preached the same message. It wasn't the teachings of Jesus that he preached. This is what's so remarkable. He was saying, God has done something in our midst, in our very generation, something huge. He raised Jesus from the dead. That is the proof, Paul was saying, that this is all real. And for 30 years, Paul planted these little Jesus gatherings all over the known world. So... Then, after that 30-year period or so, after Paul had traveled around, Paul was arrested one more time, and this time he was taken to Rome. Now, he had been arrested before, uh, and he had been imprisoned in Rome before, but he was released that time. But this time was different. This time, the emperor Nero was in power. And if you know anything about the, the Roman history, if you don't, it's very interesting to look back. It's tragic and sad. But Nero was a madman. Um, and the Apostle Paul, he knew, he knew that this was the end. And the people around Paul said, don't let them take you to Rome. You're a Roman citizen. You can appeal. Um, but Paul, he knew, and he allowed them to take him to Rome. 
And you can imagine, it, it, just try with me to imagine if going back into a world like that where there wasn't much appeal, you were at the whim of the, the emperor, um, a world where everything was dictated by this emperor Nero, in a world where Christians were fair game, where um, especially non-Christian Jews, they could do anything to them that they wanted to. And Paul finds himself imprisoned in that environment. And you have to wonder, after all of the traveling that Paul did, after all of the little ecclesias that he had set up, these gatherings, these churches, after all of that, did he find himself sitting in prison, looking forward to his eventual execution going, did this work? Did it work? Are they just going to do to the rest of the church what they're about to do? To me and what they did to Jesus? Was this all just a pipe dream? Were we crazy to think that this Jesus gathering would somehow survive the, the Roman Empire? Were we crazy to think that what Jesus did in Jerusalem would somehow get out of that little area and spread to all the world and make any difference at all? He had to have been thinking, were we crazy to think that when Jesus said, go to all the nations, that somehow that was going to actually work? He had to have been wondering that, facing his death and knowing that there was so much to do. They have, had gone really so little of a distance. So there was Paul. He sat in that Roman prison just days away from his own execution, just wondering. You know, he's in his mid-60s now. Just wondering, did this work? Was it all for nothing? And then one morning, Paul must have heard the Roman soldiers coming down those stone steps. They opened his cell and they marched him right out of the cell and on towards what was going to happen where he's going to be executed. His last morning on this planet. Now, for the next few moments, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to use your imagination with me, all right? You're going to need to kind of put your imagination on steroids. You can do it. I know you can do it. Imagine with me that the guards are escorting Paul towards his execution that morning, but we get to walk with him. We're able to accompany him toward that death from his cell to the just outside the city where they're going to execute him. And imagine that we now have the opportunity to whisper in Paul's ear. And we could say, Paul, listen, don't be discouraged. Paul, it, it worked. It worked. So they're marching around the forum now. Here's a picture of the forum. They're marching around the forum, and, and, and we, we imagine that we could say to Paul, Paul, don't fear. We have been to the future. <laughs> We're coming back from the future. Listen, we've been there. We have seen what is going to happen, and Paul, listen, it works. Paul, one day, this entire city, which is adorned, with monuments to idols and pagan gods. One day, this very city will be adorned with icons representing Jesus, Paul, your Savior. We have seen it. 
And Paul, one day, this city is going to be adorned with crosses. And they won't be crosses pointing towards Roman crucifixion. No, 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 no. They are going to be crosses remembering one single crucifixion. Imagine if we could focus Paul's attention as he was on his walk to his death. And you could say, Paul, look over there. Paul, you see Roman, you see uh, Nero's circus. Nero's circus was uh, a specific place where Nero persecuted lots of Christians, where he would allow animals just to tear the Christians apart, where he would eventually crucify Peter. Um, Tradition tells us upside down. Nero's circus, get this, is where Nero would, uh, he would impale Christians. That's, he would like stick them on a giant stake. He would stab that stake through them. They would be hanging in the air. Then he would light them on fire and let them burn. And that would be his lighting for his garden parties. Those Christians burning. Because he was the emperor. He could do whatever he wanted to do. But if you could focus Paul's attention in that moment and have him look towards the circus, you could whisper to the Apostle Paul as he was being led to his death, him wondering, did this all, will this work? And you could say, Paul, see Nero's circus? Yeah, right there. One day, Paul, there will be a magnificent, magnificent building right there that is going to commemorate your friend, Peter. That building right there, St. Peter's Basilica. Paul, it's going to be the most, one of the most beautiful buildings in the entire world. And Paul, someday thousands and thousands of people, they're going to come to this city from all over the world. And they won't ask where where was Julius Caesar buried? They're not going to ask that. They won't ask, can, hey, can, can we visit the, the place, uh, the palace of Tiberius? They're not going to ask that, Paul. They won't ask, where, where was Caesar, Caesar uh, Augustus buried, Paul? They're not going to ask that. They're going to come from all over the world, and they're going to ask their guides to show them where was the apostle Paul imprisoned. Paul, I know you can't believe it now, but one day there will be no Roman Empire at all. But there will be Jesus gatherings in just about every major city in all of the world, in just about every country in all of the world. Imagine, Paul, if you could just for a moment whisper into his ear and say, remember all of those letters that you wrote, Paul? And you hoped that they would make it and be circulated. The one to Ephesus and Galatia, to Corinth, Philippi, the one to Colossae, the one one to Thessaloniki, Paul, and to Rome. All of those things will be circulated. And then they will be translated into over 1,200 different languages, Paul. And Paul, you need to know, there's going to be a time when every single year, families all over the world from many, many, many different countries, they are going to mention the name Caesar Augustus 
but it won't be because they're retelling the story of Caesar Augustus. No, no. In fact, it's going to be the first time most kids in the world have even heard the name Caesar Augustus, but it's going to be because that name Caesar Augustus is just a footnote in the story of the birth of your Savior. Paul, before you go, before you die, you need to know one more thing. One day, Paul, parents are going to name their children Peter, and they're going to name their children Paul. But they'll name their dogs Nero and Caesar. Now, here's what I want you to hear, and then we're done. Could Paul have imagined that? Uh, could he have imagined any of those things that we just, in our imagination, walked Paul through? As a 60-year-old something, Paul was walking to his execution. Could he have imagined that the very city where he was about to die would one day, in the opinions of many, many people, become the capital of Christianity? The Roman Forum would be in ruins and just a tourist attraction. The Colosseum would one day have a cross hanging in it because of all the Christ-following martyrs who died during that period. There's no way Paul could have imagined any of this. But it happened. It happened. And don't miss this. It happened just as Jesus predicted it would happen. Because there, on the outskirts of Caesarea Philippi, with 12 men, including Jesus, when Jesus said, I will build my gathering, my assembly, my congregation of people, and the gates of Hades or hell or death will not overcome it. Not my death, Paul, not your death, not the death of Peter or the death of John. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever overcome my gathering of people because my spirit will fill them. My presence will inhabit them. And my gathering of people will become the epicenter of the activity of God himself on this planet until the end of the age. And as you go into all the nations and make disciples, and as you invite people to become my follower, he says, I will be with you until I return. So my friends, this morning, as you are potentially considering an adult beginning point of your faith, you can consider all, all, all the belief systems out there and all the truth claims out there. But at some point along the way, you are going to have to deal with these two things without any doubt that happened. You're going to have to deal with this. There was a group of people who came to Jerusalem and they said, we saw the risen Savior. We saw him alive. You're going to have to deal with that. And you're going to have to deal with this. That for generations and generations and generations that would follow, and we are still one of those generations, that the gathering of people, the assemblies, the little assemblies of people all over the world would grow and grow and grow and grow. Exactly what Jesus predicted would happen did in fact 
happen. Now here, perhaps, is the best part of all. You as an individual have been invited to participate in the activity of God in this world. So how, you might ask? And here's the answer. By being part of and associating yourself with the activity of God in this local gathering of people, this local assembly of people. That's how. Because this is what God is up to in the world. And through the compassion of the local gatherings of people and the message that these assemblies, these congregations of people have, and the interaction of the local assemblies of people inside the community, the influence of these people. And listen, no, the church has not always gotten it right. And listen, as long as humans are involved this side of heaven, we never will get it exactly right. And yes, there are parts of the history of the church that are filled with all kinds of facts that really happen, that are really embarrassing for the church. But that's kind of the point, you see? In spite of us, with all of our failures through the ages, all the ways we have mishandled the church and mishandled following Jesus and claims we made, things we have done in the past, in spite of all of our failures and all of our inconsistencies, the church, the gatherings of people who are following Jesus, they continue to influence the world and they continue to grow and pop up in pockets here and there and there. They've grown. And it's not because we're smart and we've studied how to grow church. Listen, it's because Jesus said, I will build my gathering and nothing is going to stop it. And my friends, you have been invited to participate in the activity of God here on this planet. In fact, here's the tension that I hope gets your attention. It's this question. Well, if that's true, Harley, what is my next step? So here's some, quite a few options. For some of you this morning, you may not yet be ready to follow Jesus. You're still investigating the claims of Christ. And here's your next step. Your next step would be this, to simply continue to listen, continue to learn, continue to come here and continue to dig into the claims of Christ. We want to help you. We'll do that every single Sunday. Keep coming. Continue contemplating who is Jesus. And for some of you, you're ready to place your faith in Jesus because you've heard enough. You, you've heard enough and you are convinced I need to follow Jesus. And there's something inside of you that has lit up during this series. And you are ready at this moment right now to say, Jesus, I want you as the boss of my life. Everything about me, Jesus, I'm giving it to you right now. And if that's you, let us know on the back of your connection card. We want to know. We want to encourage you and help you get a great start. For some of you, your next step is baptism. 
Do you realize that through baptism that you are joining hundreds, uh, millions, billions of people since the days of John the Baptist through baptism declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God who picked up and carried off the sin of the entire world, my sin. For some of you, it's baptism. For some of you, it's time to get into a community group. Be a part of this community that we call a small group. As you continue to grow in your faith and talk with other people who are growing in their faith. For some of you, it's time to serve. For others who may be getting discouraged, it's time to say, listen, listen, continue serving. Don't stop. Do you realize that when you volunteer to serve through this local gathering of people, that you are connecting again with hundreds of millions, billions of people through the ages who also wanted to be a part of work at the epicenter of where God was being active on the planet through the local gathering of people that we call a church. For some of you, it may be time to learn to give. Vanessa and I, we, we love giving our money to this local gathering of people. Because when you give to the local gathering that we call a church, a church that is indeed, if it is in the process of making disciples, then giving your money to that is one of the most eternal investments that you can ever make in this life. Because Jesus is involved in building his church, his gathering, his congregation of people. Even with all of our imperfections and even with all of our inconsistencies because we're humans. For some of you, your next step is even bigger than that. There might be somebody here this morning or listening online who has been wrestling with this call that God has placed on their life. Because you've sensed that your Heavenly Father wants you to, to do one of two things, maybe to leave your career and, and devote the rest of your life to serving Him in some kind of professional full-time way. Or possibly, possibly, He has helped you create a, a, an income, a career, and he says, that is going to be your funding. And now I want you to give me more and more and more of your time. In a very significant way as you are serving through the church. That's what Paul did. He's what they called the tent maker. He made, he made tents on the side to earn his money. And then he would use that money to pay his bills, and he spent his time traveling, teaching, setting up little ecclesias all over the world. Maybe God is saying, use your career that way. Maybe you've wrestled with those thoughts and wrestled with those thoughts. But listen to me, what, what could you give your life to that would be of any greater significance than that? I mean, you, you could do other things and you might even make a great profit at other things or, or you might be able to become famous. Who knows? It's something else. But what could you do of greater significance 
than to give more of your time to what God is up to through the local assembly gathering congregation of people. Do you realize that the church is the hope of the entire world? Because Jesus sent the church out to make a difference in the world through him. Because the church embodies the message that changes individuals and gives them the ability through God and his spirit, the ability to see the world changed. We as the church have the message that addresses mankind's three greatest concerns. What do I do with my sin? What do I do with sorrow? What do I do with death? And we've been invited by God himself to participate with God the Father through his son Jesus to bring that message to all of Stuttgart, to bring that message to all of Malvern, and ultimately to bring that message to every corner of the world. Yes. I want you to make a personal decision to become a follower of Jesus. Yes, I do but I want to encourage you to take a bigger step than that. I want to encourage you to engage in God's activity in this local church and become part of the solution for the entire world. Because what Jesus predicted outside of Caesarea Philippi what Matthew transcribed for us, what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do on that hillside on that day, and then Jesus just disappeared into the heavens. The message that then flooded all of Jerusalem and the message that Paul then took all around the world to the major cities of the Roman Empire, that very same message is our message and it is your message. And this is not an obligation. It's not a responsibility that weighs us down. It is an opportunity for us to partner with our Heavenly Father in conjunction with the local church. So whatever your next step is, take that step. You won't regret it. And this might be for you the new beginning point that you've been looking for. As you reconsider what God wants to do with your life and through your life and what he has given us stewardship of in this world. And whatever step you're considering, please, please let us know on that connection card. Whatever you're thinking, Whatever's stirring your heart, pay attention to that, whatever it is. Pay attention to that tension because it's an open invitation to every individual, every single nation of the world, and every single street in Stuttgart, and every single street in Malvern. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
what an honor, what an absolute honor that we get the privilege, God, the privilege to talk about these words, to talk about this topic. Because God, you know me. And you know that I have disqualified myself time and time and time again to even get to be a part of this. But God, would you please take these words and would you please take the story of your church? And God, would you take the inspiration that we find in hearing this story and seeing these images And would you help us to say, whatever's next for me, whatever it is, God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. I don't want to waste my life just doing something. God, I want to be in the crosshairs of your activity in this world. In Stuttgart, in Malvern, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my business, my family. So God, give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. And God, give us the courage to do it. Amen.